I speak for all of us when I say we come for the conversation, but we stay for the music. A little jazz number that Bart laid down. Very nice. I'm Mark Thompson here for Jank on the conversation. Yes, these are my brand new credibility glasses. They're made in voyage. Thank you. And it's a great show today. Two very different guests and two very different conversations. One involving cannabis. I know, don't get too excited. And a cannabis festival. And the other, and this is the one we will begin with, involving the state of uh, Muslims around the world and the tremendous persecution of Muslims that's going on worldwide. And it's my pleasure to welcome Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid. And uh, Malik, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. I think we know in some sort of general sense how it has been a, a particularly dark decade for the Muslim community worldwide. But I know you as an activist and you're uh, recognized, I mean, I could detail all of the different uh, uh, plaudits, uh, human rights plaudits that you've received. And I may, if, there, if time permits, a little bit later, but I just wanted to get some specifics put on that general sense of what's happening to the Muslim community worldwide. Well, it's not just the Muslim community, but uh, we may be the uh, number one victims of it. I mean, there are uh, more refugees in the world than World War II. And most of these people are product of wars, as well as uh, uh, genocide. Uh, the largest refugee camp in the world at this moment is in Bangladesh, people who had to run away from, uh, from Burma because of a genocide. Largest concentration camp since the Nazis is found in China of Uyghur Muslims. And just, uh, and, and you can name it, these things are going around in India. Uh, there are two genocide alerts. Uh, uh, so, largest democracy and so so you're talking about a substantial phenomena all in one way or the other connects with genocide uh, it was 70 years ago that 149 countries signed a treaty uh, to prevent and punish genocide unfortunately those have been worse so far you make such a, a good point. I mean, to uh, concentrate solely on the Muslim community is to leave out some of what you're talking about, sectarian violence around the world. And, and it's as recent as the last couple of weeks in India, for example, you cited. Yes, uh, in India, you know, just amazing thing is that here it is the world's largest democracy, so-called. And the Trump uh, one of the most powerful country in the world, uh, its president is visiting. And 30, uh, I mean, not 30, just half a mile from where he was sitting in Delhi, the ruling party leader stands up and next to that person, and it has been filmed and widely produced and shown, is the police leader, police officer. And he tells them, that if you don't remove these peaceful people who are protesting against the controversial um, citizenship law, which denies Muslim citizenship, 1.9 million has been already declared non-citizens. Now they want to apply this to 200 million people. Now, India, until now, not many people have birth certificate. 
And in these areas about 50, 60 years ago, nobody had birth certificate. And poorer people, mostly illiterate people, whether they are Muslims or untouchables or Christians communities, they are hard pressed to produce those documents. If you cannot produce, you are in detention camp automatically until you prove yourself that you are a citizen. How are these people gonna prove they are citizen? This was exactly what was done in Burma that in 1982, uh, they asked, they produced their citizenship document uh, dating back to 1870s. If that applied to all Burmese population, there will be hardly any Burmese who will <laughs> live in Burma. But they are applying exclusively to Muslims, telling them they are foreigners. This aggression against Muslims is going on even as uh, the American president was in India and uh, sort of celebrating India. I know that he was feted in this way to sort of, uh, you know, all the things that the, our American president enjoys, you know, big parades and big crowds and that sort of thing. But some of these things that you're describing were going on concurrent with his visit. Oh, absolutely. And the irony is that he visited a city to speak 100,000 or so people. That city name is Ahmedabad, named after Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Then he spoke, uh, he visited Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal is a love story of a king and the queen. Uh, and the person who took him there says that he's gonna change the name of Taj Mahal to a Hindu god. And then he was sitting in Hyderabad, another uh, Hyderabad house named again after a Muslim icon. And just a half a mile from there, this massacre was taking place on peaceful protesters. Uh, they were not protesting against President Trump or Modi. They just wanted their citizenship rights. And uh, they attacked them, uh, 46 were murdered, and police, instead of protecting, police actually participated in killing them and protected the attackers who were part of the Modi's party, who is the prime minister. And uh, police, uh, when, when, when a, a good Hindu human rights uh, activist approached a judge, that please at least allow ambulances which were being blocked by police to reach the victims so they could be transported to hospitals. That judge in the middle of night issued an order that ambulances should be allowed. Guess what happened? That judge was immediately the same night transferred from that area. And the next judge who which came gave police 30 days to provide explanation instead of allowing ambulances to take care of the injured people. There are 500 people who are injured. And prime minister did not visit the area or the injured people or issued a word of sympathy. And second in command, uh, Amit Shah, his name, he actually um, is the chief under which the Delhi police operates. And these are both people who are implicated in killing Muslims in Gujarat because of which United States ban Modi coming to America. Yeah, this is uh, Malik, what Malik is saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're essentially saying that this is state-sanctioned violence and state-sanctioned sectarian violence, isn't that it? Not only state-sanctioned, State uh, pre announced it. I mean, BJP leader, ruling party leader, 
is recounted before the riot, standing next to police, threatening police. If you don't remove these protesters who are peacefully protesting with Indian flags and Indian constitution, then we will forcefully do that. And he's part of the paramilitary force called RSS, which is a fascist organization which promotes Hitler and Mussolini and established exactly the same time 100 years ago. But now it is powerful. They worship Gandhi's killer. So land of Gandhi itself is a danger. So our campaign is about not saving Muslim, it's about saving India. Yeah. We got 1.2 million people there, 1.2 billion people. They all will be at jeopardy, not just Muslim community. I really wanna to get to the situation in China, but before we leave India, I know that you feel that America really needs to take a leadership role in this way and, 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 and against some of the things you talked about, if you wanna put it that way. And yet we've sort of vacated that position. Uh, not only we have done in that area, but throughout the world. There is a United Nations uh, uh, Human Rights Council. August 2018, Trump administration withdrew itself from it. And I hope uh, that uh, Senator Biden, uh, sorry, Vice President Biden and Senator, uh, uh, Senator Sanders Bernie and, Sanders yeah. will take a stand that we will enter the council again. But the problem is Biden is so much unaware of what is going on that while uh, Senator Sanders have spoken very strongly criticizing uh, India and Modi on what they are doing, Biden has remained silent and now Biden has appointed a high level advisor who actually on record on Facebook and everywhere promoting, uh, uh, promoting uh, uh, Modi. He has photographs with Modi and says my parents were raised with Modi with uh, in RSS, which is the fascist organization and he supports Modi. And his name is Amit Jani, and just just the same time, a month later than when they reoccupied Kashmir and started taking citizenship away, Biden appointed Amit Jani not only as a high-level advisor, but outreach in charge for all Asians, and he claims to be doing outreach to Muslim community also. That's insanity. That we should follow up on, I think, in another conversation. But with our with our remaining just a couple of minutes, I wanted to get to China. Uh, they there are there are full on labor camps in China and involving the Muslim community, aren't there? Oh, the, the world is calling them concentration camp, and there are two survivors of those concentration camps in the United States, uh, and I have met them. And uh, right now, when Chinese schools are shut down, even in Hong Kong and Beijing, here are people in concentration camp, very tight spaces in which one square meter is given to one person and they cannot even sleep properly in that situation. So they are sitting duck while coronavirus is going on. This more than a million to three million people are in the concentration camp. And just a couple of days ago, one of my staff who is herself an Uyghur American, she confronted the Chinese ambassador who is currently 
the president of Security Council at the United Nations telling that my own 93 relatives are missing. Can I have information whether they are alive or dead and what is going on with them? And the way Chinese ambassador started responding, he said this is all propaganda, none of that is true. Uh, is it sure seems as though it's a dark time. I know that you talk to, we, only have, we literally only have a few seconds left. I want to ask you, I know you have a daily radio show for the uh, Muslim community and, and I'm just, just curious what in the Muslim community in this country is, is subject one, is topic one. Can you quickly address it in the last few seconds? The Muslim community has stood by them, we support them, we help them, we march with them. 100 imams have issued a statement in support of the Uyghur community. We're trying to mobilize the rest of the world. So so Muslim community, you know, just the domain name is stopgenocide.org is established by my organization. And we are trying to address these issues by encouraging our senators and Congress and ensuring that it doesn't become a partisan issue and human rights are equally supported by both parties. Malik, thank you so much. Uh, Malik's information, do we have it up on screen? It's uh, soundvision.com slash Abdul Malik Mujahideed, uh, Imam Abdul Malik Mujahideed. It was a pleasure to speak with you. I wish we had more time. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much, Mark. Totally yeah. appreciate you thank being here. When we come back, it's all about cannabis. Welcome back to the conversation. I'm Mark Thompson here for Jank. The credibility glasses, they're brand new, getting mixed reviews, but everybody here seems to be solid with them. So let's press on. Uh, look, what can I say? Uh, the National Cannabis Festival is something that was huge and I didn't even know about it. I can't wait to talk to Caroline Phillips. Hi, Caroline, welcome to the conversation and congratulations on apparently having hosted such a successful gathering in 2015 and beyond. Thank you so much, I'm so glad to be on with you tonight. You know, I'll just mention it as an aside, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that whole festival is organized by women. It is, it is also the largest event of its kind, owned and run by women of color. I love that, I absolutely love that. So. Get us up to speed. So this is a, a huge thing. It was at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. It was in 2015, Absolutely. wasn't it? Yeah, I founded it in 2015. Um, when legalization hit D.C., we saw this surge in high-priced events. And I attended one, and I walked in the room. I looked around the room, and I didn't see many people that looked like me or the people in my community. And I knew that with cannabis legalization, we needed to ensure that the community in D.C. had a voice and that we were focused not just on the promised billions of dollars that supposedly come from this industry, but also the many social justice and equity issues that are still on the table and must be discussed before we go to full federal legalization. And this is a part of the whole cannabis issue that is not spoken of. Uh, you've just touched on sort of the disparity between uh, the cannabis owners that we find, that is to say the, the uh, dispensary owners that we find and those involved in the cannabis business. Uh, there's a tremendous disparity and it's based on race largely. Very true. In fact, National Cannabis Festival takes place not even one mile from DC jail, where many, many men and women of color are still in jail for crimes that other folks are now making millions of dollars on. 
And that's something that we really want to raise awareness about. It's something that we want folks talking about as they go to the ballot and consider cannabis legalization in their state. And it's something that we think our attendees really internalize and take home with them once they attend the festival and get to meet all of the advocacy groups and meet some of the folks who've been affected by this inequity. What, what is the state of legalization as you talk about it? I think to myself, can't believe this stuff isn't legal everywhere. And I'm not, I don't get high, so I'm, I don't, you know, but I do feel passionately that it's, if you're going to have alcohol legal, this is a safer drug, arguably. In any case, why, why are we all these many years later still talking about a, a substance that hasn't been legalized? That's a really great question. Why are we spending all of this time talking about this plant? Well, we don't have federal legalization of cannabis yet, which means cannabis is still listed as a schedule or one drug alongside things like heroin. That means that the federal government thinks there is no medicinal value to cannabis. If we could get cannabis off schedule one or even deschedule cannabis, we would be able to have real thorough scientific testing that would give us the information that we need desperately to be able to provide to patients. There are other countries who are getting leaps and bounds ahead of the United States on this testing. And I don't want to see people in this country miss out on opportunities to learn about this plant, nor do I want to see business owners miss out on the chance to build businesses and communities around this topic. Right, for all those reasons, you'd think we'd be in a different place. Why, what is the political resistance? Just sum it up for me. Why are we still facing this obstacle? Well, I would imagine there are a lot of folks out there, maybe they work for some of the big pharma companies that don't want people to have access to natural medicines. There's a lot of money on the line when we talk about cannabis. I think it's going to be interesting to see how big pharma embraces cannabis as the inevitable happens and the voters' voices are heard and legalization does spread across the United States. Uh, I always say if something doesn't make sense, it's gotta be about money. And I think you are, yes. <laughs> are probably right. And so as you look at, uh, as you try to broaden uh, the situation regarding race and cannabis, ownership of dispensaries and businesses related to cannabis, uh, what progress is being made in that area? A lot of progress is being made um, in all facets of the cannabis industry. We have you know, dispensary owners who are now being able to gain access to licenses where they can actually create businesses that are starting to be able to generate revenue. One of the challenges that still does face a lot of cannabis businesses is the fact that we don't have broader legalization. So when you go state to state, there are different rules and different regulations. This also creates a lot of challenges for patients and for enthusiasts who are just looking to find some cannabis when they're on a trip or traveling state to state. Yeah, it's a shame that those who are uh, cannabis fans have to always get to the medicinal thing. Like it's just, uh, by the way, it's a real thing. You know, my sister was in a, a near fatal car wreck. She has chronic pain and a lot of issues related to that uh, car accident and, and, and survived remarkably. And. She just takes it medicinally. It's been an incredible a pain relief provider for her. I mean, the, the world of cannabis. And, uh, and she was allergic to all the other stuff. So I mentioned that, but hey, if you wanna just go get high, why can't you? And I guess I say that meaning it's a shame that you always have to include the medicinal thing to somehow legitimize the cannabis use. 
It's true. I think adults should be able to determine if they would like to use cannabis or not and how and when they would like to use it. Um, but, you know, the medicinal thing is important. We have a lot of veterans who are trying to gain access to cannabis as medicine, maybe as an alternative from harmful pharmaceutical medicines, who could lose their benefit if they're found out, um, who could be in trouble if they're seen consuming cannabis. And that's a really important issue. There are people who are being prevented from using the medicines that they choose and that they know will benefit them the most. You know, another thing that's happening in D.C. around National Cannabis Festival time is our National Cannabis Policy Summit. It takes place the day prior to the festival at the Ronald Reagan International Trade Building. We like a little irony. And something <laughs> interesting about that building is it's a federal building. What does that mean? Well, it means that if somebody wants to attend this educational event and hear from policymakers, by entering that building with their medicine, they could be violating federal law. So right now we're working with the city on creating a safe harbor so that patients won't be persecuted for trying to bring medicine in their purse or in their briefcase into an educational event. So, you know, it's veterans, it's patients, it's enthusiasts, it's business owners. It's a lot of people who've been discriminated against because of their affinity for this plant. Yeah, wow, that really points it up. And I have to say, moments like that are also so effective oftentimes in bringing attention to an issue. So I know this hasn't escaped you. That is a great moment to, as I say, shed some light on, on the feds who have to get in sync with the rest of the country. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine telling somebody you can't bring your heart medicine into this event? Well, for a lot of cannabis patients, and for folks who use it to support everyday wellness, that's an equivalent thing that they're being asked to do. Yeah, and I'm glad that we're, we are now, now that I've said that you should be able to, without any sort of medicinal uh, aspects to your use, uh, be able to use cannabis. I'm glad that you, you touch on this as a critical tool uh, of therapy in, in medicine. And in a country where we're wrestling with this opioid uh, crisis, I mean, it's just, it's a runaway train. You'd think we would be running to this other natural herbal remedy uh, to, as, as a way to get off of this runaway train. Absolutely. And in a country that's struggling to figure out a healthcare system, you would think that maybe we would be more open to allowing people who live here, our citizens, to explore natural medicines, to see if there's a way that they can produce their own medicine in their own backyard or in their greenhouse. The, uh, I want to talk about the festival for a second because it is fun. I mean, it looks like you know, you've got some great performances and uh, people go there and they get married. Didn't you, wasn't there a couple that got married, I think, at one of them? Yeah, last year we had our first ultimate weed wedding. Um, we'll be hosting <laughs> the second one this year, an amazing couple from D.C. called Phil and Lisa. Um, they applied online and expressed their cannabis love through a video. And they're selected by our team, but we'll be celebrating them on the main stage. They're going to have the most fabulous cannabis-infused weekend that you can imagine. So tell me uh, how people can go to this and uh, what the setup is so that people who from all over the country might want to participate can, uh, can do so. Absolutely. So National Cannabis Festival is kind of like a rock the vote event for the cannabis community. We have a full day concert. So you can listen to music all day. If you're interested in learning, we have four education pavilions where you can do everything from yoga to taking part in contests to listening to policy discussions. We have a veterans lounge this year 
where we'll be welcoming more than 200 veterans on complimentary tickets, as well as offering discounts to our veteran guests. A seniors lounge this year for our guests who are 65 and over. We have a lot of those. And we also have a really vibrant exhibitor fair where you can see brands from all over the country, small businesses from immediately in the DC area, as well as meeting our medical cannabis dispensary and cultivation center owners. Wow, wow, you've really done it. I mean, 2015 was a big year for you, the kickoff, but it sounds like you've just picked up momentum every year. It's the fifth annual National Cannabis Festival, Saturday, the 18th of April, RFK Festival Grounds in DC. Tickets at nationalcannabisfestival.com slash tickets. Caroline Phillips, congratulations on everything. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. I hope you'll join us to hear Method Man and Red Man as they headline the main stage. <laughs> it does sound like a great show. If I'm in town, I'll swing through. Do Thanks that. Again. Thank you so much. Thanks, Caroline. Yeah. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for supporting TYT in all the ways you do. I have a podcast. It's called The Edge with Mark Thompson. We talk about all kinds of things, all sorts of people move through. Sometimes it's just stories, sometimes it's politics, and sometimes it's uh, it's interviews with uh, politicians and others. Uh, anyway, uh, if you're in the mood, it's called The Edge with Mark Thompson, check it out. I'll see you here sometime soon, and until then, bye-bye. <laughs>